All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack these stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, I've got Jeff on the show, who is the co-founder and CEO at Rise Science. Jeff and his Rise Science co-founder were the first to publish research on technology-enabled sleep behavior modification over a decade ago and have recently completed the largest known study on sleep in real-world job performance across the NFL and sales teams. I am ecstatic to chat with you, Jeff, because... You know, there's a lot of people talking about sleep, but you guys talk about a lot of science related to this. So I'm excited to dive in, provide a different perspective or another perspective, I should say, for the listeners. Welcome, my man. Yeah, well, it's good to be here, Mark. And, um, you know, I've been thinking about sleep and its impact on our mental fitness, you know, for the last 10 years of my life, uh, pretty much exclusively. And so it just brings me so much joy and pleasure to be able to, to, to share a little bit of what the science has to say about all this stuff. And um, hopefully, you know, we spend so much of our time uh, sleeping that we can use that to, to uh, figure out how ultimately we can be at our potential. And, um, and that's really, you know, how we think about it. And, and so just excited to, to share anything that we can on the topic. I can't wait. But before we do that, I've got to start the show the same way I do for every guest. And it's just to get a little bit of a glimpse into you as a person. So sure. let's just start with, you know, who's Jeff? Who are you? What what defines Jeff? Yeah, it's a really uh, big question. <laughs> but <laughs> let me, I guess my, the way that I think about it uh, is that I've always been someone who's been super motivated to figure out how to solve, you know, big human problems. And, um, you know, so for me, actually at a young age, and I think it was you know, largely because of the, the inspiration of my family, you know, my mom was a social worker. My grandfather grew up in a small town in Argentina and quickly realized back in the 1930s that, you know, all of the physical ailments that people were having, many of them were actually because of mental root causes. So he actually mm-hmm. moved over to the States uh, in part to study stress in the early 1940s. And so, um, you know, he had a big influence on my thinking. My mom had a big influence on my thinking. Um, and, um, and, you know, many of my family members have. But that really got me thinking that when you don't have your health, you can't take advantage of the joy of this world. Yeah. And so I, I from a young age, just was sort of motivated to have an impact there. And um, that, that really has driven a lot of my decision making since then. And I just know that when I'm not focused on a big problem, I, I just get unmotivated. Uh, and so that's a little bit about how I'm wired and, and I can't explain why that is. It's yeah. just, it's curious. So like around, if you remember, like what age do you think you would have been when that whole thought process started to fire up? Because I mean, that's just, just hearing you say it, that like, that doesn't seem like the norm. I mean, normally, normally people, um, either hit a wall of some sort of health scare or they're like elite athletes in some way that to start really focusing or prioritizing their, their health. Cause unfortunately, at least what I see is that the, like the mainstream narrative and, and especially when it comes to how we're, you know, marketed, um, like our food and things like that, like it's really not promoting optimal health and longevity. So right. I almost sense you're going against the grain, right? And it, yeah, I mean, for me, I guess if the there are sort of two moments where I felt it. Uh, one that was sort of very early on, like probably in my you know 
early and middle school, even like just feeling mm-hmm. like, wow, the healthcare system is just so bad compared to everything else, the user experience of everything else I'm using. Yeah. And like, it should just be better than that. And it just was kind of that simple. And, uh, and, and I think then on top of that, you know, my mom was talking to me about mental health. My grandfather was like, I, I saw that pretty firsthand. And I'd say my first personal experience with that was, um, you know, just a, a kind of a simple snowboarding accident, but I, I had broken my femur and snapped it in half. And I got airlifted down to a special hospital to do like this very long surgery on it. And anyway, I had to get this um, because of my age at the time, I think I was maybe 12, 11. I had to get this external fixator put onto my femur, my right femur. And so literally it was a um, picture sort of a, you know, let's say a, a 12 inch um, titanium bar that had four wood screws drilled into my femur and there were oh. open wounds around each of those screws. Yeah. And so, and that was, and I was that way for about three or four months. So I, you know, and I think I was in fourth or fifth grade, so I didn't even go to school. I was in, you know, level nine, 10 pain for three and a half, four months. I mean, the way I'm describing this bar is as if, you know, I was in some sort of, uh, you know, torture fantasy movie or something, right? Like, I mean, it's just extreme. And so I was taking opiates all day. And, you know, at that young age, I sort of was like, wow, I don't even really care about living anymore. Like, what am I doing? I can't, I wasn't, I lost all my independence. I had to pee in a a jar. I I could, you know, my mom was sponge bathing me, you know, and like, I just didn't care about life anymore. And so, that gave me um, I, that through all of that pain. I think I, I the downside was I lost a lot of empathy um, because it's like I had been through so much pain. But I think the upside was I felt like I could go do anything, and that um, that and that when you don't have your health, physical or mental, uh, it, it, it's really hard to find joy in the world. And so yeah. I really felt it firsthand there, and that that has been a strong driving force for me. Uh, for, you know, throughout my entire life. Well, you definitely just shifted my perspective. I've been, I've been nursing or healing a pulled groin uh, the last three weeks from snowboarding actually. And, and, you know, it's, I mean, it's not pleasant, but it definitely does not compare to what you just described. And it's like anything, right? Like you, I've been, I've been trying my best to just reset my perspective. Like obviously it could have been way worse. It's just, it's really rocked my routine and, like, you know, affect my exercise and, and stuff like that. But there's always something that could be worse, right? Yeah, abs- there is. And, um, and just even that, uh, you know, why you and, you know, all these sorts of existential yeah. questions you can start asking, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's sort of, uh, a little bit, I guess, of, of what's inspired how I operate and sure. how I think about where I spend my time. And so when did, when did sleep come into the picture? Yeah. So that was about 10 years ago now. And, um, it was back in 2010 or maybe 11 years ago now. And, you know, I was an undergrad engineering student and just, you know, exhausted like everyone else was from being up too late and early in the morning. And I thought, you know what? And I was trying, like, I I would take around this gourd and I was drinking all sorts of, you know, I was drinking mate and I was drinking caffeine of different sorts. And I was, you know, just trying everything I could to figure out how to feel better. And I just didn't really feel better. And so I was like, you know, maybe my sleep has something to do with how I'm feeling. <laughs> and I honestly, at that time, it just sounds crazy, but I didn't connect the dots. I was like, well, maybe sleep has something to do with it. So let me start researching sleep science, literally just looking at peer reviewed papers, looking at the review papers. 
And I wanted to find out what is it that I need to do so that I feel better? Is it like, do I need to get some special mattress? Do I need to do some sort of special wind down routine? Do I need these blue blocking glasses? Do I need a supplement? Do I need a tracker? Like just what do I need to do so that I feel better? And I just had way more questions after doing that work. And so I just begged my school sleep science department to take me on as an apprentice and ended up publishing my first academic paper all around how do you actually take uh, consumer sleep tracking data that was just available and use that to inform better sleep habits so that people actually feel better. So the behavior modification side of it. Okay. And um, all, all of that was sort of perfectly academic until, you know, our school's football team found out about it. We, uh, my, I say we, Leon, who's my, my now co-founder, uh, was sort of with me on this journey uh, every step of the way. And, um, and so we started working with Northwestern football. And then one thing led to another. We had all of these pro athletic teams that also wanted to do it. So teams like the Patriots and Clemson and Alabama and Michigan and, you know, name a pro team. We've probably worked with them. And, um, and that was sort of the first version of Rise. And I, I'll give you, you know, the high level of where we are now is taking what we've learned with, you know, some of the best athletes and, and teams and, and um, uh, performance teams on the planet and making that available to, you know, everyone with a mobile phone. And so that's really what we're focused on, kind of democratizing now and, and really bringing the, the science to people in a way that they can weave into their life every day and make actionable. So that's, mm. that's what we're focused on uh, today. And I imagine when you first started that, I mean, 10 years ago, I feel like that was still the time or the era of, you know, the badge of honor was to say, yeah, I only have to sleep four hours a night and perform like a champion type thing, which thankfully, yeah, it seems like that's shifting. But I mean, again, for someone jumping into the, that industry, when I can only imagine it felt like sleep was not a priority, like, you know, what was oh, going no. through your mind at that point? No, I mean, what we'd get laughed out of the, a lot of times laughed out of the room, you know, and, and, um, especially with a lot of these teams, they hadn't yet realized that it was important or if they had, it might be like the PhD head of sports science, you know, yeah. one of the teams that's realized it, but the head coach has no idea. And so how do you convince them that this even matters, you know, when their entire career about coaching and being an athlete meant just outworking the other people, not, not out, not, you know, working smarter, but just working harder. And so that, that was a, a great exercise and lesson and just, you know, how do you, how do you do that? Um, and, um, and what, and how are we able to get these players that, you know, have so many people trying to influence their routines to not, you know, go out in the primes of their lives, but to get more sleep, like what were we doing and what was the unlock? And so, um, that was kind of a fascinating, uh, journey to go through. And I, I think the big lesson we learned that still is as true today as it was then is that, and, and, and really this is the reason that we've na even named the company rise and, and not, you know, rise sleep or, you know, rise, uh, or, or some sleep related name is that, you know, what we found with these athletes is that it wasn't that we were giving them fancy sleep data, you know, their REM sleep and their deep sleep and their HRV that was convincing them that they needed to get more sleep. Like when I went and have, would have a conversation with one of these players, it would be like, oh, well, Jeff, the unlock for me was once you connected my sleep to how I'm playing in practice and I could start to make that connection instantly, all of it was worth it. All of it sort of clicked yeah. in for me. And so what we've sort of realized is that it's not about sleep. It's about what you do with it. It's about the energy that you have to be the best version of yourself. And when you can give someone instant feedback around unlocking that, 
you, you can immediately change their perspective uh, that, that is sort of almost unheard of compared to the other kind of health behaviors that you can think about, you know, like nutrition. It just takes a while to kind of feel the benefits or even exercise. Oftentimes it can take a while to get the benefits of it. Um, totally. So, uh, or even mindfulness, it can take time. And so yeah. this is something that you can get instant feedback on, which makes it a really powerful kind of first place to start on a journey of performing better and feeling better and um, being the absolute best version of yourself. It's such an important point because I, it, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking meditation is a classic example that there's, you know, there's some really good science behind it, but it's hard to um, really feel the effects of it. I mean, unless you're in like a massively, you know, a big stressful acute moment, then, you know, the, the meditation or breath work can help diffuse that. But if, you know, if you're just, you're meditating kind of every morning for 10 or 15 minutes, um, at least I personally find it more challenging to, to keep up that practice because I, I don't feel the effects as much as I would say going to bed an hour earlier, you know, yeah. right away I wake up, you feel that right. Or breath work is actually a better example because you, you physically feel the, 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 um, the effects of, of doing that. Right. So, so important. I, I love, I love the notion of, you know, just connecting that obviously with a, with a motivator. Cause then, then the athlete or, or anyone really uh, at this point, uh, has a reason to, to like slow down and listen or, or at least be curious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think there's so many things that you can do, spend your money, your time, your focus to, you know, be at the top of your game. And, and if top of your game means, you know, being the best athlete or being the best uh, partner or being the best coworker or being the best friend, um, you know, the, there's many ways that you can improve that, but the one that is the cheapest and the one that will have the biggest impact is how we sleep. Yeah. And so that's really, really kind of powerful. Uh, and I think it's the place to start that oftentimes most people have their, you know, nutrition down and they're eating all of these special antioxidant, you know, foods. Yeah. And they're like going and doing these special exercise routines and they don't know the first thing about what they need to do with their sleep. Yeah. And, and it's not any fault of their own. It's, I think it's, I, I, you know, it's hard to exactly pinpoint what the root cause of why, you know, good uh, science-based information has not gotten out there. But I think a lot of what is out there is just incredibly misleading. And what it mm -hmm. not only is it misleading in that it's confusing the consumers, but people end up then just getting disheartened and they start feeling like their sleep is elusive and that it's this problem. And, um, and so there's, there, you know, one of the things that we want to do is, is to the extent we can say, well, what, what at least does the evidence base have to say about this? And I think unlike meditation, which I think has some interesting science coming out now, uh, about its efficacy, but again, it's still far from consensus. Oh, yeah. still, there's still so much work to do. You know, the first sleep lab in the world opened uh, at the University of Chicago in 1925, right? Like that's Insane. almost a hundred years ago. Yeah. We have millions of peer-reviewed papers on sleep. So, you know, I know yeah. there's still a lot we don't know about sleep, but there's a lot we do know. And there's a lot that researchers have figured out. And so, you know, I think it behooves all of us to figure out, well, what, what do we know? And then based on that, what can we do about it? And how should we, you know, live our lives based on, based on what we know? Um, so, so. so I pulled a line from, I think it was uh, Rise Science, your profile on Crunchbase. And I, I wanted to bring it up. It's, it's, sure. it's well-timed here. It's just, uh, there's a line in there about 
a hundred describing the company, a hundred years of sleep science to help you pay down sleep debt and take advantage of your circadian rhythm to be your best. So, you know, why, why don't you why don't you first describe a little bit about what you guys are up to at Rise? And I love to talk about the idea, or I guess it's not an idea. It's basically the principle of sleep debt because I don't feel like I've really ever heard that terminology except when I was talking to you the first time we jumped on a call. Yeah, it's so this is curious and uh, we'll get into what we do, but I, I, I'll, I guess maybe I'll start with what I would call the most important finding in all of sleep science. Now, this is an opinion I have. Uh, I sure. tend to be a more theoretical dude, but um, I, this is uh, a, a basically what I would call like almost the laws of physics for sleep. Okay. And basically the question is, like, how do we get all the benefits of sleep? Like, you know, we know if you've read Matt Walker or listen to any of his podcasts, we know that like when you don't get sleep or your sleep is bad, you know, you, there's all of these negative consequences, right? You basically die earlier and your mm -hmm. days are, are crappier, but how exactly, uh, do, does your sleep relate to those outcomes? Or another way of saying it is you want to have, you know, if you want to change, you know, sleep is fundamentally related to every biological system. When you don't get it, all of the biological systems start failing. So this is affecting everything emotionally, everything physiologically, like metabolism, your immune system, um, you know, your immunity, and then also everything emotionally, your ability to have empathy, your ability to relate to other people, your ability to trust other people. Um, and so the question is, how does sleep relate to these things? Is it more REM sleep? Is it more deep sleep? Is it like, what is it sleep quality? Like, what do you need to do? And so yeah. this was the question that I was really trying to answer when I first got into this, which is like, I'm just feel like crap every day. And I have this in inkling that sleep might be the reason why, but I didn't really know. And so luckily, uh, after many years of studying, I came upon something called the two factor model of sleep and wake regulation. And by the way, this is, you know, uh, if you go talk to any sleep scientists, that this is sort of the foundation theoretically for, for the field. Um, it was just sort of hypothesized in the early 1980s. It was sort of reinstated, uh, in the mid 2000, like 2016, that this is still the dominant theory. In fact, today it's more like the three factor model, but the two factors are really the ones that, that we need to talk about. And basically what it, it's called the two factor model of sleep and wake regulation. So okay. the idea is that there are two factors that if you change, uh, you will expect a change in your basically alertness and, and state of, and, and how awake you are. And so that will highly correlate with all of the outcomes that you, that you care about. And those two factors are the first is sleep debt, which I'd argue is the most important factor. Sleep debt is just simply a measure of how sleep deprived you are. And we can get into how it works in a second, but okay. I'll leave it that for now. So it's a measure of how sure. sleep deprived you are. The second factor is something called the circadian rhythm, which we, I don't know if you've had anyone talk about that on the show, but certainly folks have heard about it. Um, basically you have a cl biological clock in your head that is controlling, you know, every cell in the body. And as a result of that, you have, you know, very unique times of the day. Uh, to be performing, to be sleeping, times when you're going to feel groggy, times when you can be doing your best work emotionally, physiologically, uh, you know, cognitively. And so that's the, th those are the two factors. 
and everything else essentially is noise. Well, I think that that last one, obviously our circadian rhythm, I feel like that's the one that seems to get be getting the most attention, specifically when it comes to, um, you know, like blue blockers and all of that and screen time in the evening. But it's like people forget or aren't learning about any other part of the day or any part of the, the cycles of sleep, especially, you know, sleep. Like it's like everything else is forgotten or something. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's those two and it's, and, and really the, if, if you had to pick one number or you pick one metric or one sleep score, quote unquote, the only sleep score that matters is your sleep day. Okay. All right. Let's talk about what that is. Yeah. So let's get into that. So the way this works, so it's a measure of how sleep deprived you are. And the way it works is that just like height or eye color, we each have a genetic amount of sleep we need. Now, the average is about eight hours and 15 minutes with about a 35-minute standard deviation. And what that means is that, you know, what I don't know, I forget the exact standard deviation math. I should know this. But like, you know, somewhere around 65% of us need plus or minus one standard deviation. You know, so that means that, you know, most of us need somewhere between eight hours and 45 and what, seven hours and uh, seven hours and 45, roughly speaking. Um yeah. I'm sorry, seven hours and seven hours and uh, 30 minutes ish. So the question is like, okay, each of us has a different amount of sleep we need. And when we don't get that, we build up debt and how you feel today and how you perform today is going to be based on your, uh, on how much debt you have, not based on what you did last night or the night before or the night before or the night before. And to give you a sense, last night is certainly the most important, but it's not the only day that matters. Uh, there's some research that suggests that the last uh, 30 days matter, and you can carry up to about 40 hours of this debt that you can pay down. Oh, wow. So that's, you know, in, in, in our work and in this, the, the study we just published, or we just got accepted for publication a couple weeks ago, um, the, the our work really showed that basically the last 14 days has has the most material impact. So for, for our work and what we do in the, the Rise app, we really look at the last 14 days. Um, but that's how, you know, sleep debt, uh, you know, works. And there's some interesting, you know, I, I'm sure people listening to this have maybe also heard Matt Walker on Joe Rogan or whatever. And he said a lot of amazing things, but I think one of the areas that maybe has confused people is that there's this myth out there that for some reason people think you can't make up sleep debt. Okay. Yeah, I do. I feel like I've heard that or, or personally have bought into that myth as well. So please do continue. <laughs> well, it's just, it's just plainly not backed up by the scientific evidence, right? So uh, Greg Belenke, who's an incredible sleep science researcher, you know, did, and I can send you the paper after this. I mean, this is just one of many studies that basically show when you get more sleep and you reduce your sleep debt, your performance gets better. So like, what do you mean you can't make up sleep debt? I just don't understand where that theory comes from uh, okay. because the, the evidence is so overwhelmingly clear that you can make it up. In fact, you know, the way you can even prove it to you in your own life is all of us have, you know, had terrible nights of sleep. We've gone three days or four days. We're not getting enough. And then you've gotten more over time and you can feel the difference between being exhausted and not being exhausted. So how did that happen? Well, you made up sleep debt. That's how it happened. So yeah. it's super, you know, the research is quite clear. Now, I think what Matt Walker is trying to say, and I'll at least give him credit for this. And Matt, if you're out there, you can send me an email, 
Jeff at Rice Science uh, <laughs> confirming this. But um, I think what Matt means to say is we also know that a, a uh, if you self-report to not getting a lot of sleep, you are at high risk for nearly all chronic diseases. And so I think what 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 Matt is saying is that we what we don't know is let's say you've been for 20 years depriving yourself of sleep. Can you somehow, if you get more, you know, let's say you then get your acute sleep debt down to an app, a couple hours, you know, something totally in a normal range. Is that, is that going to, um, how is that going to affect the long-term outcomes in terms of chronic disease states? That I think we just don't know uh, and is up in okay. the air and is, and is not understood. Um, and I don't think there's evidence one way or the other. I mean, Matt, if you have evidence to suggest that you truly can't, you know, uh, for those long-term, you know, effects, I think that would be interesting, but at least in terms of the short-term outcomes, the things that everyone listening to this cares about, you know, what's, what are you going to feel like tomorrow? How are you going to feel emotionally tomorrow? How good is your immune system, your metabolism, your hormone system? How good is all that going to work tomorrow? How well is your brain going to work tomorrow? you know, how mentally fit are you going to feel tomorrow? That you can absolutely make up. Oh, totally. Well, first of all, I should note that I'm, I'll, I'll take the ego uh, boost that you think that Matt Walker is listening to the show. <laughs> Which, <laughs> maybe he is. So uh, yeah. Matt, if you're listening, well, thank you for the support. Um, but the, the second point, um, you know, I mentioned, uh, I was hosting another show with a, with a group of docs not too long ago. We did two series uh on immunity and longevity. The show's called Peak Health Unlocked. Actually, okay. the, the immunity one should be releasing over the next few weeks. And I only bring that up because we had interviewed just such a host of different people, like geneticists, functional medicine docs, sports psychologists, like all types of different specialties. And in the, both the longevity series and the immunity series, I was always asking them, you know, like what's one one of the big takeaways to boost your longevity or your your immunity and sleep. Yeah. It didn't matter, you know, who it was. Sleep was always always coming up. Sleep in some sort of mental fitness related, you know, um, you know, practice to 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 calm and and regulate your mind. But it was just it it was just so obvious, right? So like, yeah. where have we gone wrong? Where where did sleep like? get the kick of the can or something. <laughs> well, you know, when you look at it historically, I think there's a couple interesting trends. You know, one is if you look back at kind of historically self-reported sleep over the last hundred years, uh, you see that over time, it seems like we've actually been getting less and less sleep at less and less ideal times biologically. Okay. And so since we started measuring this, you know, very intensely, I believe it was in maybe the seventies, I want to say, where we started to get even much, much better data around it. Um, it's just gotten worse and worse. Uh, and so why is that happening? Well, I think it's, I don't think we can talk about the trends without really understanding a concept. Actually, I give hundred percent credit to Matt Walker for this language called what he calls naturalistic sleep which is okay. basically the idea that, you know, um, sleep has evolved in every living thing that we know of. Uh, and as a result of that, the, the, uh, our sleep systems are highly complex, highly adaptive, highly evolved to the point where, you know, we don't need to get in the way of, we can't hack them or optimize them. What we need to do rather is get out of the way. And so what we've actually done over the last hundred years 
is um, in the last hundred years sort of interesting because that's when electric lighting really became sort of mass market is that now that we have all this lighting and more lighting and now we have, you know, phones that are so easy to, you know, even in the, think about the, before the iPhone, I mean, you weren't, okay. So you're taking your Nokia phone that you play snake on into your bedroom, (laughs) fine. Like it wasn't really a thing that you, but now it's like, you've got some iPhone 12 pro max. It's like a massive screen. The screens are getting super bright. They have incredibly engaging, you know, apps and experiences and content on them. And so um, we basically, uh, what we've done is brought in things that are getting in the way of naturalistic sleep. And naturalistic sleep for humans is basically cool. So, you know, roughly you should be sleeping in a cool environment. It doesn't, uh, you know, the exact temperature, I don't think matters uh, materially one way or the other, but it should be reasonably cool. It should be dark, you know, truly dark, like, you know, so dark that when the sun comes up, you should not be able to notice that the sun comes up hmm. and it should be quiet. You know, I sleep near a freeway, and so I actually put in earplugs every night um, because even though I'll get used to the sound of the cars going by, the increase in noise level will actually sort of heighten. You know, it's not a, that was not a normal thing that 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 humans sort of evolved with that there just be this incredibly loud sort of unnatural sound of you know cars rushing by. Yeah. And so, anytime you remove uh, something that's unnatural. It, it tends to be more beneficial. And so that even extends supplements that you're taking. It extends to medication you're taking that, you know, in general, we want to try and do things that um, are getting out of our own way uh, versus sort of bringing on ourselves, you know? So, and when you do that, you end up building, you know, quote unquote, healthier sleep habits and a lot of sleep hygiene. When you understand that principle of like naturalistic sleep and where it's coming from, I think it starts to make a lot more sense. It's a great concept, and in, to your your point, I think you, you just brought it up that it, it can overlap with so many things that we we just don't even think about, right? And when it comes to whether it's nutrition or exercise, it's just we we've we've overcomplicated so many things that if we just slow down a little bit and you know essentially try to get back to the basics and sleep obviously in general uh, is is one of those basics and required to you know for our energy and to heal and and all of that right but like everything else as well just just slow down and to your point take a pause and think about whether like how are you altering the situation so we're not just on autopilot right right and if you're not happy in your life or you feel like you need to be doing more or you feel like you need to be better or you feel like you want your metabolism to be better your immune system to be better like stop buying like all this other stuff and spending money, time and focus on these fringe areas. Like just Mm -hmm. focus first on like, is your sleep debt low? Once it is, then start doing these other things that are going to start affecting you at the 1% level, 2% level. And, you know, this was a theme actually in professional athletics. You had um, the British Olympic cycling team. And the whole notion was we're going to do all of these 1% things a lot better. And that these 1% improvements are going to then add up to, you know, and compound to be, be material. And so I think British cycling ended up doing a lot of great things that way. And that was like the story in the professional athletic sports science community. You know, we're going to just do the 1% things better. We're going to take these special supplements and we're going to do these special nutritional things. We're going to do these, you know, special, um, you know, very unique ways of, of doing exercise and you know, all this, all these things that are sort of like on the edge that give mm-hmm. you 1% benefits. Yeah, then yeah, totally. There was it was getting so complicated <laughs> that I think everyone was like, "Wait, what are we doing?" And we've lost sight of the big rocks. And so there was this shift in the top 
you know, sports science practitioners and top performance practitioners to do the exact opposite of just focusing on the big rocks. And that's where then we started to see all of this interest in sleep, because that's clearly the biggest rock of all of the rocks that are big. Um, And so, you know, that's where then, okay, let's get the sleep rock just dialed in. You know, what do we need to do? And if you care about dialing that in, it's three things. It's, you know, sleep debt, circadian rhythm, and then removing the obstacles that are getting in the way of sleep debt in your circadian rhythm. That's it. That's the whole story. You know, yeah. and so, you know, ultimately you asked, what does Rise do? Like that we're building, you know, the technology to help do that and make it easy for you to build those things into your life. But, you know, that's it. You know, it's, 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 and if we do that really, really well, that's going to have the biggest impact on how you feel than any other thing you could be spending time or money on. And so that's the, you know, at least as a place to start. And then you got to do all these other areas. Um, so it's not only sleep. But it's definitely should be the starting point for you know, any one of these journeys if you care about you know being at your best uh, in, in in any part of life. Yeah, it's it's definitely definitely one of if not the biggest pillar. I I totally agree with that. I mean, do you see a bigger pillar out there? Like just to be really pointy here, you know, is there a bigger pillar? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're you're right. If your if your sleep is garbage, I mean, it affects everything. Right, and it and affects everything in the perspective of, I think at least the short term, and for sure, like the, you know, the long term in terms of chronic disease and and just disease in general, your mental performance. So it's yeah, it's good point, man. Good point. Well, well, I I think that what people get confused is like there's so many important things with your health and your mental fitness that it can then sometimes obfuscate what is just important, but obvious. And the obvious things are, are typically the things that people easily forget. And so sleep is sure, assuredly not the only thing, but you got to start there. And, and I think the the way that I think about this very concretely, you know, from a priority standpoint, again, I, I came into sleep, not because I was fascinated with sleep inherently, but because I wanted to feel better. And, you know, what I learned is, if you basically go like, you know, let's assume for a second that we, you know, your, your sleep changes. Let's say you build up seven, eight hours of sleep uh, debt in a week. So that would mean, let's say you need eight and you get seven for a week. What happens to you cognitively? Well, at the end of the week, your ability to focus as measured by the psychomotor vigilance task is, if, is as if you were performing at the legal limit for alcohol. After just like a week of getting seven instead of eight, right? Mm. So like that's cognitively. Let's look at emotionally. This is actually a study Matt Walker did. Uh, I think he published this in Nature. Um, He basically uh, had a group of people deprive themselves of sleep for one night. So that's the equivalent of building up about eight hours of sleep debt. There's some research that shows that. But so let's let's, uh, assume that, again, you build up eight hours of sleep debt. What happens emotionally? 50% of people in their study uh, reported clinical levels of anxiety the next day. Hmm. Again, just after eight hours of sleep debt, then let's look at, you know, something physiological. So let's look at metabolism. Um, This is, I think it was actually building up a little more than eight hours, let's say like 12 or 13, but I think it was, um, this was a study done at UChicago in 2000, uh, looking at sleep and metabolism, specifically glucose metabolism. And I know that sort of like the, the, the wearable glue, you know, CGM meters have gotten all the rage now, but we've known for 20, 30 years uh, that, you know, that, that sleep plays a critical role in, in glucose uh, metabolism and just all of your metabolism. And so, uh, what they found in this study 
is after basically five nights of four hours a night, your glucose metabolism was, uh, was at the level of someone with type two diabetes. Wow. And so then I would ask you to, to play the thought experiment where you, you basically do the opposite. You say, well, what happens if you don't meditate for seven days? What happens to your sleep? Well, maybe it's not ideal, but like, it's not going to be like so clinically messed up that you need to, uh, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's more unidirectional where sleep is a foundational pillar for everything else to rest on top. And so it's less of a question of like, which one's more important, less important. It's just that like, if you're going to build a house, you got to start with the foundation and there's no way you can build a house without it. Sleep is the same way. It's just the foundational element of all of human functioning. And you've got to take care of that first. It doesn't mean it's the only thing you need, but it is certainly absolutely necessary if you want to go build a house. And so that's sort of how we think about it. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you didn't, I'm glad you didn't let me glaze over that one and you pointed it out because it, it, it is so important. And like, even on my, as you were saying this, I was thinking, you know, obviously my, my big focus is, is around mental fitness. And the way I think about that is that really everything starts and stops from your mind. I mean, if, if you're trying yeah. to sort out your nutrition, well, you, you've got to make a decision to do that. If you're going to exercise, then your mind's telling you to go do that. So exactly. put the focus there. But if your mind is not performing optimally because you're sleep deprived or you have sleep debt, I mean, you know, you, you're right. It, that, that is the start of it, right? Like yeah. you can't. So if you, you, yeah, if you look at the root cause of mental fitness, the, the, the biggest variable is going to be your sleep debt and your circadian rhythm, at least to start. Now, once you have that taken yeah. care of, you know, for example, let's look at like, you know, even the motivation to work out is driven by your sleep deprivation. The, how hard you can work out is driven by your sleep deprivation. The levels of hunger that you feel and, and fullness that you feel after eating is driven by your sleep debt. The, mm-hmm. uh, your, the preference towards fatty and salty foods is going to be driven by your sleep debt. <laughs> how much willpower yeah. you have is driven by your sleep debt. So that's why it's, it's, just, it's a foundational element that I think is o- really underappreciated uh, and sort of underlooked at just how foundational it is. But again, just like a house, imagine if you just had the foundation, like that doesn't mean that you're like great in all other areas. So it's just the place to start, you know, it's really just the starting point. But I think many of us have forgotten that. And we, we, we're trying to build the house on top of a very shaky foundation and don't understand that at the core of everything we do as people is our sleep debt and our circadian rhythm. And that's for all of us That, that that's not just for the people trying to optimize, you know, health and you're on the fringe, like that is for seriously every human on the planet, uh, something that is, the, it's the most foundational input. So um, anyway, enough of me on a pedestal about this. But um, <laughs> Well, there, yeah. there is, Jeff, there is one thing, I mean, I'm sure the listeners are probably like, why isn't he asking about sleep debt and, and how to actually, uh, you know, get some of that back and it's more specifically. So before I, I definitely want to move on uh, or, or wrap to some of your just mental fitness practices in general. But before that, sure. like, is it as, this might be a silly question, but is it just pure math? Like if you're eight hours in sleep debt that, you know, you have to sleep an extra hour for the next eight days, or is it, is yeah. it just, or is it getting your optimal sleep that you're supposed to be getting? And then over time it kind of, you know, it, it d- dissolves that debt. Like, how does that work? It's a really good question. So the like short, simple tool to think with here 
Um, and the reason why I think it's so powerful to have like, you know, like you said, the eight hours of sleep debt, do I just need to get eight hours more sleep? Yes. That, that's sort of like the, the high level answer is yes. Now okay. to be a little more accurate, that's not quite true. So as we talked about before a little bit that each night, so last night matters the most, but it might only be a 15% of the overall weighting, for example. And, um, and actually it's very individualized. So some people have that last, last night will happen to matter a lot more and, and, and less than, than others. Meaning, you know, for me, it might actually in actuality be, you know, 15% waiting for you. It might be 20%. Um, and I might be more or less sensitive to days in the past, you know, 14 days ago. So it is, you know, on average, what we're saying is, you know, right. But for every individual person, it's there, there can be uh, pretty significant differences. And so I think what matters is that on the whole, yes, you basically, if you have eight hours of sleep debt, that means that you can make it up, um, and get that down. It doesn't mean that you should have zero hours. I mean, I think what you'll see once you start measuring your sleep debt, um, which you could do in, in rise, uh, once you start measuring, you will start to figure out, uh, how you feel at different hours of sleep debt. And that will then become a KPI for you. So I know that when I'm between three and five, I feel great. And I know when I'm at seven or eight, I'm going to not be up late at night watching a Netflix show and I'm going to prioritize making sure I get enough sleep. But when I'm at like two or three or even four and it's a Friday night and I want to go out with friends or I want to go out with my wife and and hang out at dinner for a while or whatever the case is, you know, once my daughter's down, um, then it's like, you know what, like I've got sleep to, I, I, I can lose some sleep. I can build, I can afford to build up some sleep debt. And I'm going to be just fine because I know that the next day I don't need to be like 100% on. And so it allows me to then make a trade-off on a daily basis, uh, which is so powerful. The one other caveat, though, I will point out is if you're listening to this, um, it is uh, very hard to know how much sleep debt you have without measuring it quantitatively. And the reason for this is uh, that researchers have found is that people basically adapt to the effect of sleepiness. So th- what the research shows is that subjectively, even if you get four hours of sleep a night, basically you will only feel sleepier uh, th- the first three days and then days four through 14, you won't feel any more sleepy. And so as a result of that, your brain is basically adapting and telling you you're okay when in fact you've got a lot of sleep debt. And so the, the trick here to know how much sleep debt you have is at any point during the day, so from basically when you wake up to let's call it before you go to bed, do you feel at all drowsy? Like, oh, you know, your eyes might be a little bit droopy or, you know, you're sitting around one o'clock and you're like, oh, I could, I feel like I could take a little nap right now, or, you know, it's quiet and, com- you know, comfortable and you're laying on the couch and, you know, you feel like you could just sort of close your eyes. If you feel at all any small signal of that drowsiness, um, that is red alert. And that line actually comes from a guy named Bill DeMent, who um, was uh, one of the, he started Stanford Sleep Research Center. He's sort of one of the uh, top figures in sleep science and uh, used to teach a very famous class at Stanford. And it was called Sleep in Dreams. And that was the tagline for the class. Drowsiness is red alert. I think it's just such a genius line. Um, But in, in fact, how quickly you fall asleep is actually the clinical measure of how sleep deprived you are. Um, and so, so, um, that it, it's not so far from the scientific, uh, reality. Yeah. But th- is, there's a difference between 
because I, I, I mean, for anyone listening, if you if you haven't used Rise, it's I highly encourage you to take a, uh, a look at the app. It's first of all, it looks beautiful. It's so well designed, um, and there's just such valuable data in there. But one of the one of the data points is is to show or to predict throughout the day where you'll have those highs and lows in energy. It mm-hmm. that's difference or that's different than the drowsiness, that, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we will predict, uh, we have a, we've taken the last, you know, many years of circadian science and, uh, which is called chronobiology. And we have a, a set of basically predictive models that take in your sleep data every day. And we're able to predict how much energy you're going to have that day and the peaks and dips of that energy and the best, when you're going to be drowsy in the morning the best time to, you know, have lunch, the best time to have your most important meetings, the best time to be getting in bed and sleeping. That's that is when your brain is releasing melatonin. So we're able to sort of predict all of that. We're doing a lot of work right now on sort of making that easier to use and sort of integrate okay. it into the tools you already use. But um, that is how we how we do that side of it. So cool. I, I just love the work that you guys are doing. And like I said, the the app and the the data in there is just so valuable. And I love that it connects with you know, this isn't just another thing that you have to buy and slap on your wrist or name the wearable or, or, or finger. Like there's just so much out there. So it, it works with what you already have going on, which is really nice. Yeah. And there's so many great companies that are doing such a good job at, at tracking sleep and, um, and tracking sleep is important. Again, it's a foundational element to the work we do. And um, it's just awesome to see that sort of gain more awareness and people are thinking about it, talking about it. And sleep is not a trend or a fad. It is here to stay because if you look at how much fundamental science there is behind it, it's just that important. It should be taking up a big percentage of the things that we talk about and think about. So um, I think we'll even just see more and more over time, not less and less. And this isn't going anywhere, you know, so um, that's uh, pretty exciting. We have to sleep. We have to spend a lot of our times doing it. And no amount of technological or biological innovation is going to bring, you know, our sleep need down or change sleep to circadian rhythm equations. I mean, we know how that stuff works. And so it's like rocket science. Like if you're going to go build a rocket, you, you don't hack it. You know, you, you understand the science of how, you know, aerodynamics works and how rockets work. And like, that's why it's called rocket science. Yeah, you yeah. literally know how to predict where the rocket's going to be at t-, t equals, you know, 10 seconds and 20 seconds. So, um, that sleep is similar in many ways. We know what works and we just have to get that out to folks, uh, in a way that they can understand. And so, um, actually we're trying to start this project up on our website right now, where we have a sleep guide where everything I've just talked about, you can go on our website risescience.com and check out our sleep guide. And we sort of are trying to put as much as we can up on the internet for free about all of this so that you can, you know, learn on your own time and, and interact with the science and, uh, you know, really unlock for you a, a, a huge amount of superpower that you can start to deploy every day. So cool. I'll, I'll definitely link to all this in the, in the uh, show notes. Cool. Last question for you, sir, because I want to respect your time, sure. but just, yeah. you know, when it comes to your mental fitness or any of your routines, morning or evening, like what, what would be one or two things you would love to leave with the listeners to, to focus on sleep, yeah. obviously, but to help me, you know, maybe help with, with your sleep. I, so I'll leave uh, everyone with two, uh, one's in the morning, one's in the evening. 
So in the morning, I, you know, probably many of you are exercising or working out. Uh, I would encourage you to think about uh, getting outside, even if it's a gray day, uh, as soon as you can from wake up. And the reason why, and you can exercise if you want, but you can also just take a walk, just get outside. And the reason why is that you're, as we talked about naturalistic sleep, when the sun came up, you got sun and you woke up. If you remember camping, you know, if you've ever been camping, you're like up at 5.30 and all of a sudden you feel like you have more energy than you've ever had, even though it's 5.30, you know, a.m. when the sun's up. And so that's because your, your hormonal system and your circadian system is regulated by that first light in the morning. So being able to get outside in the morning is huge if you can, and you live in a place that's reasonably warm enough to get outside. But again, even if it's gray, if you've ever seen those sad lights, those are about 10,000 lux. Getting outside, even on a gray day, is like close to 100,000 lux. So oh, wow. you know, get outside. Okay. Yeah, it has a big impact on not only how you'll feel during the day, but also in terms of your uh, circadian system throughout the day and at night. And so you'll get actually a, a, a stronger release of melatonin at night and you'll be able to fall asleep better, stay asleep, stay asleep faster, all because you went for you know a walk basically in the morning. Sure. So um, I run because I just enjoy getting some exercise in too, but getting outside is just one huge thing that uh, I've done again, as soon as you can with, in the morning. The, then I'll leave you with one at night um, that that I do is uh, uh, maybe two things. Um, one is there are these orange glasses that I put on an hour and a half before bed. And if you download Rise, we'll also sort of like link to these and tell you, uh, you know, text you when to put them on and all that sort of stuff. But the the basics are uh, you can and you will, we can send you the link to these, Mark. But you can buy these glasses for like nine bucks or ten bucks on Amazon. Um, they have really good peer-reviewed evidence behind them. And what they do, again, back to naturalistic sleep, is they block out blue light. And blue light comes from every light source. So not just your screen, but, you know, the lights uh, above your bathroom while you're showering, the lights while you're in the kitchen, you know, making dinner. And so what you'll want to do is put these on about an hour and a half before bed, and it'll block out all the blue lights to trick your brain into thinking that it's dark outside, and you'll get a much stronger release of melatonin um, and, and have a, you know, very, uh, good night of sleep again, naturalistic night of sleep, mm-hmm. which is what we're going for. So highly recommend those. Um, and I'd also last one last thing that I've just found to be a very nice part of my routine mentally. And also for sleep is taking a hot shower or bath before bed and doing it, you know, roughly about an hour before bed, but also quite a bit of science behind, um, taking one of these hot showers. I think they call it like passive passive like water-based body heating you know like they give it some fancy scientific name. yeah but basically it's a hot shower, hot hot shower. <laughs> yeah exactly. and you don't need to like shampoo or anything you know like even if you showered and cleaned that day i will still every night take a hot shower as a sort of marker for me of like okay i'm winding down it's about me time now it's about doing things that are relaxing sort of put like the rest that. of the day behind me so not only is it powerful for that just the feeling of it but also um, the the fact that then it increases your body temperature, that then when you get out of that hot water, your body will sort of counteract that by by lowering your core body temperature, uh, which is then going to be sort of beneficial for falling asleep and staying asleep. So mm. just a thing that you can try, but there's also quite good evidence behind behind that. So um, so yeah, those are three things. Uh, Amazing morning sun, do hot shower, hot bath, orange glasses. Awesome. This was so fun, Jeff. Honestly, I mean, I could speak to you for hours about this topic and probably really any. You're just, you're, you're a good human. So thank you 
A well, for that's nice of you to say. <laughs> well, you are. Can you tell my? Uh, can you tell that to my wife? <laughs> I will make sure to forward her the link. I'll yeah, let you know when I'll, it's I'll, live. <laughs> great. I'll send you her. You can have her email, and you can just let her know. You, I will support that mission. <laughs> so, Good. I mean, thank you for coming on. Obviously, but a bigger and higher thank you, um, really, for just you know dedicating the last decade plus to this this field in this space because you're. I mean, you're helping so many people around the world. You, you know what we've, what, we, what you definitely have convinced me of. Um, really optimize and and get the most out of the, the the most fundamental pillar that we could focus on, which is sleep. So thank you for that dedication. And you know, it's, I, I know it's uh, it's not the easiest thing to run a company or a startup and a team and and innovate in that space. So it's um, super appreciated your your work in 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 this space. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on and thanks for the work that you're doing to have conversations like this and all the work in producing. And, um, you know, I think it's going to take a, a, not just a village, but you know, it's going to take humankind to, to sort of change and reverse some of these things. And, um, and this is just, you know, if we can place one small part in that, I know Mark, this is probably your driving force too. It, it makes life more meaningful and more enjoyable, uh, you know, selfishly to, to work on problems that matter and, um, and so, you know, to anyone out there, uh, we are here to help and be a support and, um, and any projects you're working on in the space that you think we might be able to be helpful, we, we want to be. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, it's going to, like I said, just take so many people to not only change, you know, how we think about our sleep, but, you know, every other aspect about how we function and interact with each other. So um, I'm looking forward to that change, uh, you know, in, in human health and, and hopefully, you know, we'll together be able to make a, a big dent in that as am i and i'm leaving with a huge smile so thank you for cool. those words cool.